Good morning, everyone. Can you believe that we are now at our final week in our John series, the series that we started last July? And, and I'm kind of partially disappointed that I'm not there with you this morning. Of course, I would have liked to have been there as we wrap all, uh, all of this up. Um, but this weekend, if everything has gone to plan, um, by the time you're watching this, I'll actually be in London. I'll be in the UK with Mission Aviation Fellowship. And so I'm getting myself ready. I've got my MAF shirt on and I've even got my, my MAF hat um, because for the first time since 2019 um, our board chairs and our chief executives from across the math world um, are getting together for our global summit and so i'm really looking forward to spending some time um, with some of my colleagues in the math world if you don't know anything about Mission Aviation Fellowship. This is just a bit of a shameless plug, uh, but MAF exists to bring uh, help and hope and healing to the world's most isolated communities. And so we're involved in disaster relief and medivacs and, and transport of missionaries and development workers into uh, incredibly remote, difficult parts of Africa and South Asia, Southeast Asia, the Pacific, in Central and South America. It is a wonderful kingdom ministry and I'm, I'm really, really honoured to be a part of it. Anyway, that is not what we're talking about today, but that's where I am. Um, if you do think about it though, if this does um, pop into your mind, I would just would appreciate your prayers for MAF and for the MAF family. Um, because we have men and women and kids, families across the globe serving in incredibly difficult, sometimes dangerous, and almost always incredibly isolated situations. And uh, prayer for those families would be appreciated. Okay, the final week in John. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you have gone back and, and had a look at the very early and opening messages from this series, or even if you can remember back that far, but our original ambition with this whole series really is that we would encounter the person of Jesus, that we might have some kind of evolving revelation um, of him as the Alpha and the Omega, that Jesus is ultimate reality. And that as we have this revelation of Jesus through John, not only would our roots grow down deeper, grow down, grow down stronger, but that also we would be better equipped to share the good news of who he is, uh, share the good news of what he is like, of, of what it is that Jesus has accomplished. You might also remember that um, probably particularly in the start of this whole series, we, we were quoting 1 Peter 3, 15, um, where Peter is imploring believers saying, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And that was really our motivation in stepping into, into John, that we would be ready, we would be equipped, we would be well-versed to give an answer to anyone who asks regarding the hope that we have, because the hope that we have is in the person of Jesus. Even more than anything that he has done, it's in him. The true identity of Jesus is John's focus. Uh, the truth about his identity, uh, more than anything that he has done, in fact, is the essence, essence and, and the epicenter of the gospel. 
So our ambition today as we wrap up this series in John is that we might actually spend a little bit of time together uh, reflecting on our experience throughout the series. How has this deep dive into John's gospel impacted our understanding of the person of Jesus? What's happened for you as we've spent this long, long time coming face to face? with the person of Jesus. And, and Mike is going to lead you through some conversation at your tables soon, but I just want to give us a little bit of a, uh, a setup as we, as we wrap up the series. Now, here's where we started. We started actually right towards the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 because it's in those two verses at the end of chapter 20 that John really clearly clearly tells us why he recorded his gospel narrative, um, what his motivation was in recording the things that he did. And he actually gives us his version of the gospel. John gives us his version of the good news in 21 words in these two verses. So, um, Here's verse 30 and 31 of uh, John chapter 20. You can look it up and read along if you like. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. You may, and here comes the gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's goal is that by telling the story of Jesus, and particularly as it relates back to the Jewish narrative, which we've gone back to over and over, that he will give evidence to careful readers as to the true identity of Jesus. This is John's focus, the identity of Christ. Because it is by believing in his identity we're going to talk more about this word believing in a moment. But it's by believing in who he is that we might have life. And the primary evidence that John gives to the identity of Jesus uh, was in the form of seven signs. And do you remember those, the seven signs? John doesn't talk about miracles, if you remember. He talks about signs because signs indicate the existence of something that you can't see yet, that you haven't realized yet. They point you in the direction of something that is already true. And in this instance, these signs all point to Jesus as being the one we have been waiting for. And so the first of the seven signs, you'll remember this, it was in John chapter 2, um, it was changing water into wine. And so that, this was kind of giving some evidence to the to uh, Jesus as being the author of the new covenant, the new covenant that will unite God with humanity, like a, like a wedding. That was the first sign. The second sign is the healing of the official son in John chapter 4, revealing that he, here is the son of God who grants life by his word. If you remember, Jesus wasn't even in, in the proximity of the official son. He just declared it, uh, declared life. From a distance. The third sign was the healing of the paralytic by the pool in John 5. And so here is the Son of God who restores, who, who makes whole, who causes the lame to walk. 
The fourth sign was the feeding of the 5,000 with the, with the loaves and the fishes in John chapter 6. And so here is Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. Then in John chapter 6, we have the walking, walking on water, which we just kind of think is a neat trick. But, but, but water and, and the sea is a really, really powerful metaphor through, uh, uh, throughout the Old Testament and in those times. And so what we're actually seeing here is that God is the one, the Son of God. Um, Jesus is the one who is sovereign over the chaos, uh, who is sovereign over death. He is the one who hovers over the waters in the Genesis account. Then, also, then in John chapter 9, we have the sixth sign, which is the healing of the man born blind. And so Jesus is the one who gives sight to the blind, who causes us to see. And then the seventh sign um, was the raising of Lazarus from the dead in, in John 11. And so that's kind of the capstone of those seven signs. And that G Jesus is the one who proclaims freedom from the captivity of of death, and so we've got these. We've got these seven signs, and we know that seven indicates this idea of wholeness or, or completeness. But then we have an eighth sign, and if we've been following along, we know that if there's uh, uh, eight, is uh, a symbol of new creation, and it like the eighth, the eighth day, the new creation, and so the eighth sign is Jesus' own resurrection. He is the new creation. He is. The new human. You might remember right back in John chapter 2 that Jesus predicted this and the Jewish leaders were, were questioning him and they said to him, uh, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And John tells us right back in his own body, but his own death, and in three days he will raise it up to new life. That was the eighth sign, the new order. And so, so John's like, I've, I've written all of this. I've written all of these signs so that the lights will come on for you, so that the scales will fall off your eyes, so that the truth is revealed, that you would believe what is already true, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the promised king and he is he has inaugurated a new world order that is no longer enslaved to sin um, and no longer enslaved to the consequence of sin being being death jesus is the one who has accomplished all of the promises that we've seen in the law and in and in the scriptures so wake up open your eyes because when you believe when the lights come on you will have life Jesus says this in John 14, 20, and I, for the life of me, I don't know why this is not um, the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Um, Jesus, during the Last Supper, he says to his disciples, he says, in that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father, that you are in me, and that I'm in you. In that day, you'll realize the lights are going to come on for you that Jesus is in the Father, that Jesus, the man, is one with, is, is of the same essence as the Father, the author and the sustainer of life 
and light and love. You'll realize that Jesus, the man, the human being, is in the Father and that you are in him and that he is in you. You will know, you will realize, you will believe, you will stake your life on the pre-existing fact that you are in God, that you are fused together with life itself. And you've just woken up to the fact. When we really wake up, when the lights really come on, not only do we realize that, uh, that he is in the Father and we, in he, we are in him and he is in us, but we realize that we are all in Christ together, that we are all really his body, one flesh participating in the communion of life itself. Bigger, of course, than we can get our minds around. But this is what John is, is desiring. really need to pay some attention to this word believe. How, how is it that when we believe that, that we are ushered into or that we, that we realize that we, are, that we are in him, that he is in us, that we are fused together with, with life itself in God? We've seen as we've explored through John's gospel that there is a real richness in the original Greek language that sometimes we can totally miss in our English translations unless we really do some study. Um, because sometimes we get some um, some good footnotes and then other times we're just left with something quite deficient. And when it comes to this word believe, I reckon this is one of those times where we're left with something um, that, that's not quite sufficient. Because when we say believe, um, we, we can be fairly flippant about that. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John uses this word 56 times in his, in his gospel, believe, that you would believe. That is almost double the use of the same word in the other three gospels combined. And so it really matters to John. The word here in, uh, in chapter 20, verse, verse 31, is pisteo. And it is the verb of the word pistis. And pistis we will generally translate as faith. Now, quite often we'll use those words, faith and belief, we'll use those fairly interchangeably in regard to Jesus. We will speak about believing in him or having faith in Jesus in quite similar ways. So, pisteo, um, that you would be, that by believing in him that you would have life, uh, is a verb. It is, pisteo is the word that we translate here as believe or as believing. And it is the act of faithfulness. It is the act of fidelity, of loyalty. And perhaps the very best translation of this word pisteo is allegiance. What's important to understand uh, is that both, both faith and belief they, they have to refer to something that is already true. Um, when you believe in something, you're believing in something that already, exi already exists, right? Your belief and your faith in that thing doesn't cause it to spring into being. Things don't become trustworthy because you trust them. You just come around to the fact that they are trustworthy, if that makes sense. So in, in these instances, belief and faith are simply our coming around 
to something that is already true. Believing in Jesus doesn't cause our salvation. It just allows us to live in the light of its truth. Having faith in Jesus doesn't initiate um, his offer or his work of redemption. It's just our coming around to the truth of it and staking our lives on it. Jesus' saving work of forgiveness and redemption, that was complete with the empty tomb. And it's now up to us as to whether we live, live lives that are aligned to the truth of it um, by believing, by living faithfully to the truth of it. Truth of it. Um, whether we continue in our rebellion against the king or whether we live in allegiance to the king. I hope that makes sense. Um, more than that, and, and we'll, this is probably going to come as a shock to, to some of you, what we have come to see in John and what then plays out in, in, in the book of Acts in the early church and in the epistles, all of the, the letters written to the early church, is that the idea, the idea that, uh, that, that Jesus dies on the cross to save me from my sin, that I, that I might go to heaven when I die, while there are elements of truth in that, it's not the gospel that, uh, that the disciples, that the apostles taught. It's not the gospel that is recorded in Scripture. Jesus does not preach a gospel of salvation. He went from town to town preaching a gospel of the kingdom. Jesus and the apostles taught the good news, taught the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's here. The good news is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed king, the son of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises of Israel and indeed for all of humanity. He is the sovereign promise of new life. And our response to this is not simply a matter, matter of some kind of mental belief in the merits of Jesus' sacrifice so that I won't end up in the bad place. Rather, our response is whether or not we ally ourselves to the king, whether or not we will be faithful to the king. Because the only position that has any ultimate future, of course, is to realize, is to come awake to the pre-existent truth that Jesus, who is light and life and love, he is the king of the cosmos, of all of creation. So non-light, non-life, non-love has no future. And so what John wants us to understand is that, is that life is in allegiance to the king. Will you ally yourself? Will you live a life of allegiance, of fidelity, of faithfulness to the king? Because this is what it means to believe. John says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing, by being in allegiance, you may have life in his name. John does not let us reduce our Christianity to a privatized little personal relationship between me and Jesus. He doesn't let us get there. John does not let us reduce our idea of salvation to a magical prayer. 
John's whole point is that Jesus is fully human, that Jesus is fully God, that Jesus is on the throne in full accordance with the promises of Scripture. Will you pledge allegiance, fidelity, faithfulness to the King? And not only because it's the only way to life, but also because it is flipping brilliant. So, Mike now is going to lead you in some conversations or give you at least some questions that you might ask around your table so that you might be exploring uh, these questions about who is this Jesus? What is he like? How has this series in, in John um, deepened and, and expanded and altered your understanding of who this man, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ truly is. Anyway, I hope that that is a really um, fruitful and blessed conversation for you all. I will see you next Sunday. So bye for now. Bless you all.